There's so much knowledge and so much information out there. I think one of the bigger mistakes that's being made right now, too, is that we're spending so much time learning and not enough time executing what it is that we learn. Hello and welcome to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now, I started this podcast as a way to give you access to the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions from people who actually work every day in the music industry on how to move your music career forward. Now, I'm blessed to have helped launch the career of superstar Taylor Swift, and I served as her manager for two years. I currently manage American Idol winner Trent Harmon, consult Scott Borchetta and the Big Machine Label Group, and have been helping thousands of artists around the world navigate the music industry. By the way, contrary to popular belief, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help you make sure that you are on the right track. Enjoy the podcast. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. So this podcast is going to be a little bit different as I was a guest on Simon Tam's Music Business Hacks podcast, and we had such a great conversation, I thought that I would combine my podcast interview with him and his podcast interview with me. Enjoy. Rick, welcome to the Music Business Hacks podcast. Thank you. I love the hacks part. Yeah. Yeah. When, When my buddy Greg told me about it, I'm like, wait, I've seen that before. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to be here. I want to see if I can provide a hack. Well, I, you know, you provide a lot of hacks, both in terms of your book as well as your podcast. So do you want to tell listeners a bit more about kind of some of the th- information that you like to throw down? Sure. So fortunately for me, I've been blessed to have some amazing mentors. So my background includes radio, program director, record company, manager, consultant, speaker, author. And the thing that's typical and for all of the stuff that I did is I've always put myself in a position to be able to solve problems. Uh, What I realized early on was that no matter how talented someone is, there might not necessarily be a place for them at a quote unquote record label. And for a long time, I'm 51 years old, so for a long time, we grew up thinking that if they weren't on the radio or weren't on television, well, they weren't famous. They must not be that good if they're not in that area. And then I realized when the internet came along, it's like, wow, there's a lot of talented people out there. So I have set my sole purpose on letting those talented people that may not get to the label or may not want to get to the label, how to use those tools in order to get their music out, build and engage a fan base and ultimately monetize the fan base. And I do that through my programs, through my book, Now through the podcast, it's just a way for me to share knowledge and information, but it's ultimately up to them to put it to use. You know, I love that idea of it being a problem solver. So when I um, teach entrepreneurship classes as an adjunct, I always try and begin the class by having everyone define what an entrepreneur is. Okay. And, And people would think, oh, it's a business person. It's someone who does this. And I was like, at the end of the day, it's a problem solver. You, if you can solve somebody else's problem, you provide a solution, a service, product, a good. Right. That makes you an entrepreneur. Now, if you can monetize that right. and put it in a system, it makes way, you a unicorn. Yeah, it's, it's even better. <laughs> but I think too often artists don't see that their music can be 
solving a problem or their sure. live performance can solve the problem of say like a venue that needs to sell drinks that night or, right. or anything else like that it's or like, a song may solve the problem of someone who was feeling suicidal and it ended up changing their thought process you know one of my mentors said if you have something that can change and affects people's lives it's your responsibility to find them it's not their responsibility to find you and too often artists don't really understand that they're a business Absolutely. You know, and it's like, and what, what an entrepreneur, the typical, and I love entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. And what I say, tell people the difference between an entrepreneur and a business person is that the entrepreneur is willing to take risks. <laughs> the business people tend to try to play it safe. And in today's music business, you have to be an entrepreneur. You can't just go in and be, well, it's always worked this way. So we'll do it this way. It's changes too fast. You'll yeah. be buried. You know? Know, it kind of reminds me, um, Seth Godin just released a new podcast on the series Akimbo. And he was actually talking about the difference between a freelancer okay. and an entrepreneur. And he says too many people are freelancers trying to be entrepreneurs and not, and too many people who think they're an entrepreneur, but they're doing the work of a freelancer. Right. It's understanding that mentality of like, it is like, and that completely changes how you approach like your music career. It should. <laughs> One would hope. Yeah. You know, it, it, it should. And unfortunately I like what Gary V says sometimes about young people. He says, the only problem with young people is they haven't been punched in the face enough. You know, <laughs> it's like an older person who's been through some things, uh, it's it's like we may not have the energy that the young people have, but it's like we know what it feels like to lose, you know. And I and I think you can't even call yourself an entrepreneur until you've lost a few things, until you've struggled a little bit. And and I think that some people, I think the word's overused a lot. I think that's why I like the way Seth went after that. You know, it's like hey, well, I always tell people there's book reporters and there's field reporters. <laughs> The book reporters read a book and then write a book about the book they just read and then sell themselves off as an expert. And then there's field reporters like ourselves who are actually in the industry. You know, a band can learn how to tour from you because you toured and you are in a band. I'm a, I, I can't do that or share that. I can share it from the manager side or the artist that I've worked with side, but I don't know what it feels like to be a band member and do it. So what I do is introduce people mm -hmm. to the field reporters. So I, I love the fact that there's so much knowledge and so much information out there. I think one of the bigger mistakes that's being made right now too is that we're spending so much time learning and not enough time executing what it is that we learned. You know, as people Absolutely. will keep buying my programs and they're like, all right, what's the next program? I'm like, where's your website? Well, I haven't done a website yet. Dude, you've been here for four years. Stop spending money. Start working. I'm not going to let you spend any more money until you show me a website. You know, people are like, you're not going to take his money? I said, no, because he's just stockpiling all this great knowledge and information, but it doesn't work unless you work it. Sure. I mean, that was one of the biggest reasons why I started my original blog and, and sure. what inspired me to write that book is because I was like, people are reading music business books cover to cover and then they're wondering what they should do or they think that the process of them reading was working on their music <laughs> thinking that they actually advanced their business somehow because they read a book yeah because well I'm, I'm training i'm doing that sort of thing and it's like well you can practice guitar all you want but until you get on the stage you're not doing anything right you're not a performer yeah exactly right so with the amount of information that's out there now and and that's kind of you know, sometimes artists get overwhelmed with the amount of information sure. out there. 
what's something that you recommend to help them kind of navigate that and like discern what's useful or not? Well, I think first and foremost is they have to figure out what their goals are and what their definition of success means. Uh, so it's if you think about, oh my gosh, I got to spend every day doing social media, yes. And if you don't know how to do it, that can be overwhelming. But when you know how to do it, it's only about 20 minutes out of your day. Oh my gosh, you know, no one's really digging my songs. Then you should probably focus on your songwriting a little bit and start working on that craft. Just because you write a song doesn't mean you're a songwriter. And just because you started a band doesn't mean you're a musician. So if you ultimately want to be in the music business, it means you need to be able to sell your product, whether it be through streams or whether it be through music. So first and foremost, my recommendation is get the music right. Make sure that you've got the music for the right audience that you want to go out and build. Make You're not going to, people will still say this, Who who's going to like your music? Oh, everyone will like my music. Well, then no one's going to like your music because we can't please everyone. Uh, know who your audience is, go out and feed that audience. But if you treat it like a business, you should be able to put a couple hours aside every day to build your business. If you can't, then it's probably just a hobby right now. And don't be disappointed if you're not making any money or you're not building your audience because you've got to roll up your sleeves and put in the work. And if you're going to school every day, it's what you do after until you go to sleep. I'm not telling anybody not to sleep, but it's taking advantage of what you do when you're awake. Get your eight hours of sleep. What are you going to do with the other 16? That's what's going to be the difference in what it is that you make. But I think Getting the right tools, that's why I created one of my first programs was called Social Media for Music. It's like everybody was like, well, I'm on all 15 social media platforms. I'm like, you're a moron. You only need to be on four. You know, here's where you need, oh, really? Whew. Then they got all excited. And then they're like, all right, well, what do I post? I don't know. What's your audience talking about? Well, I I don't post because I don't have anything to promote right now big mistake. Absolutely. It ain't about you. It's about them. You know, we just don't want to show up, vote for me, do for me, look at me. It's like, we don't like friends in our lives who are like that. Why do we want, I don't want my favorite artist to be like that either. So just under, I mean, the biggest lessons that I've ever learned come from psychology and human behavior, not from anything I learned in the music business. Just treat people the way that you would want to be treated and don't expect them to do things that you're like, crap, there's no way I'd do that. Well, guess what? Neither will they. And it's that psychology that actually ultimately drives successful sure. businesses is understanding how, how people work. Right. It's kind of like, I oftentimes compare social media to the world's biggest cocktail party. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're there and maybe some people are a little too drunk, but if you're just hanging out at this party and you meet someone and all they do is talk about themselves and how cool they are and what they do, you couldn't. You would want to get out of there as, as quick as possible. I'm, I'm actually going to utilize that analogy okay. now and give you full credit for it because I always give credit where credit is due. But also, too, think about the intriguing conversations that you get drawn into. You know, if you hear something going on, you know you want to kind of work your way into that conversation. Sure. So that's a great analogy. The yeah. world's largest cocktail party. And, and sometimes things might be controversial. Sometimes sure. it might be just a fun joke. But at the end of the day, the things like get people to stay there are sure. stories especially where they can relate to it on an emotional level somehow well people want to feel like you're engaging with them and they know who you are i was having a conversation earlier today with a very famous music producer has written songs with some of the biggest stars in the world and he's really starting to get himself really active on socials and we were having that conversation about 
well, I kind of want to have like that mystique of like Kanye where he doesn't really follow anybody but Kim. I said, you're not Kanye, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I said, how, how would you feel if you asked, I said, I always ask the artists that I work with, I said, how would you feel if your favorite artist followed you? They're like, dude, I'd be, I'd be stoked. I said, great, then go make somebody else feel stoked. I said, but how would you feel if you had asked your favorite artist to follow you and they ignored you, but they always showed up wanting you to spend money on concert tickets and you to spend money on music. And every time they posted, you retweeted and you shared, but they didn't give you the time of day. And that's when he got it. He goes, now I get exactly what it is that you're saying. I said, you don't have to follow back everyone, but you better follow back those people that are showing you that they're worthy of a follow back because they are. Yeah. It's, it's about building that relationship. Well, and if you want your message to be seen, it's going to get seen more on the people that you're already following that they're following back. If not, you're waiting for complete strangers to come find you because you're cool. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so as you work with artists, since you manage a few and you've managed a number of artists over the years, uh, including several really big names, what is that kind of biggest piece of advice that you always tell them to follow? Is it is it about building relationships? Is it like rolling up the sleeves? Uh, is it all of it? A lot of it is, it's just remember is that without the fans, you have nothing, you know? And it's one of the greatest things working with Taylor is that she did everything for her fans. She spent so much time getting to know them. And even to this day, you'll see like a news release that'll say, Taylor Swift, you know, showed up at 12 fans' houses on Christmas. And not only did she bring them gifts, she had gifts custom to what it is that they like because she went on their socials, she learned about them, she made them feel special. It doesn't take a lot to do that, you know? So the more you know their audience, the more they know you. The other thing is, is that you don't need all of them. I have a, a, a couple right now, a duo that I've been working with for four years. They make about $180,000 a year, every year. No manager, no booking agent, no song on the radio, no major tour with about three, between 3,000 and 3,300 fans. That's, they loved on those 3,300 people and now they have a great life yeah, because of it. We don't need all of them. It's that uh, true fans theory. It is, if you, it is. If you find those fans who are hardcore, and you spend your time on them, they're right. going to invest a lot more into you than if Correct. you just treat everybody like an acquaintance. Correct. When Keith wrote that story, he wasn't joking. I mean, it's it's the way that it works. Yeah, and I think in the world we have today, the more it's like super interconnected, it allows us to really kind of define and, and look for niche audiences sure. and be much more effective at it as well. Absolutely. Which is also why it's a great idea to learn social media as much as possible. Well, it's a, it's a great tool. It's like, uh, why wouldn't you want to know how to get in front of as many people as possible to a store that's open 24 hours a day, sure. 365 days out of the year? People look, if you look at it as a chore, you're never going to be successful at it. You have to look at it as the tool that it is. Once you know how to use the tools, it's like, just because I'm holding a hammer, but if I need a screwdriver, it doesn't matter how great the hammer is, it's not going to work for the, the job that's needed. Once you know how to use them properly, it's easy because everything you can schedule. All you got to do is create the content. We create content all day long. Then once you learn how to get rid of it, then once you learn how to schedule it, uh, but social media, I tell people, if you aren't willing to put in the work to learn it, then you should quit right now because no label is going to be interested in you. You're never going to be able to build a fan base, even if you want to stay independent. You've got to understand the business that you're getting into. It's like going to be a surgeon and refusing to learn how to use a scalpel. 
You're not going to be a very effective surgeon if you don't know how to use the tools to complete your job or to save people's lives. So that's what I truly try to focus on right now is what do we have to do to shift the mindset to say, look, we'll be fine if you're not here. You know, this is this is a privilege to be in this business. It's not a priority to be in this business. And that's kind of the way that I like to look at it is I look, I feel honored to be able to help as many artists as I can spread their message because then I get to touch and affect people's lives and I didn't even have to write the song. Your song, if I could show you, I always tell people, you guys go create it, I'll teach you how to get rid of it. And then once that happens, then all of a sudden, I'm able to do more things, help more people. Uh, and, and, and that's why it's like with you putting your your knowledge or access to people that have knowledge out there every single day for people to hear through this podcast, that's that's social media. It's like when I'm driving into work, that's when I'm listening to my podcast. I call it the University of Ford. Sure. You know, I get my education in that car. So artists just got to remember, it's up to them. It's definitely their business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you're probably aware, I like to ask kind of a standard set of questions to a lot of people. Whatever you need. Uh, to kind of get these common set of tools so that people can okay. kind of grapple onto you. And they don't necessarily have to be directly related to music. Okay, good. They can be. Okay. Uh, so like the number one thing is what is the book that you've given away the most as a gift to others? Probably other than your own book. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, Crushing It, the new one from Gary V. I bought for everyone in my office. Uh, I've gifted on Audible his first one, Crush It. Yeah. And uh, Brendan Burchard had a book, uh, has a book called The Millionaire Messenger. And that's the book that's probably had the most impact on me because as I read it, the concept was make a difference and make a living sharing your knowledge and experience with others. And that's where I got the idea that, wow, not every artist needed a manager. What they needed was a coach. What they needed was some guidance. So that's when I put all my information online was because of that oh, book. So, so you switched to that. Yeah. What actually inspired you to um, be a manager to, be, to start with? Uh, I was asked. So I, I didn't go out looking to be a manager. I actually worked for Big Machine Records as the West Coast Regional Promoter. And then they had sent Taylor out to me to teach her radio uh, and to kind of get her used to what this experience was going to be like. And after six months, her parents called and asked if I would be her manager. And I said, no. I said, <laughs> I'm not qualified. And her dad said something to me that night that has really stuck with me as he said, look, he says, Here's the thing, he says, you believe in her, you're not afraid to ask for help, and you've built such great relationships, you can go get answers to any of the questions that you need help with. And I was like, okay, interesting. So that's where I got into it, and then I, I fell out of love with being a manager because I love the early development stage. What I didn't like, when I left Taylor in 2008, my day was spent going, sorry, Taylor can't do that, sorry, no, sorry, it was like, it was like the fun was gone, you know? I like rolling up the sleeves and learning, you know, going from selling 3,000 in merch one night to 10,000 to say, okay, what can we do to get to 20,000? You know, what can we do to get to 100,000? What can we do? So that's kind of what I missed. And now that I'm back managing Trent Harmon, the most recent American Idol winner, it's fun again. You know, it's like it's that early stage yeah. where we you can like make a difference. I really do. It's I like really being do. a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Because you're constantly looking for problems to solve. Yeah. 
And we have plenty of them at the early stages of an artist's <laughs> career. Now, the problems get bigger as the artists get bigger, but it, for me, it's not as fun. And I think that's another bit of advice is knowing what you're good at. You know, I'm not good at going into the big meeting with the big people and sitting there and keeping my mouth shut. No, I call BS too quick. So that's not the right place for me. But when we have to go and go from the one side of the country to the other and somebody's got to stay up every night to make sure everything gets done, that's where I excel. I excel in the problem-solving situation to say, okay, we've only been given a budget of $20,000, but it's going to cost us $30,000 to do it. Where do we go get the other 10? Who can we go create a partnership with to make that happen? That's the stuff I excel at. So... Um, in the last few months, have you found any new like beliefs or habits that have kind of helped really shape or influence your life or how you look at these kinds of problems? Yes. Uh, Facebook retargeting. <laughs> Absolute game changer. Uh, so there is a podcast called Creative Juice. Uh, Circa and Corinne uh, run that. And it's like I've become a dork about the data. I really have. It's like... Facebook allows me the opportunity to specifically target an audience and drop my message in front of them when I know they're going to see it and when I know they're going to be there. Now, someone that comes from radio, when we play a song, you better hope that the right person was listening at the right time that the DJ said your name. There's so much hope marketing that goes into that, but with Facebook marketing and Facebook retargeting, not only can I get you a message, but if you've interact with it, I can then show you the next message. And if you interact with that, I can show you the next message. That can't happen from a billboard. That can't happen from a magazine article. That can't happen from a commercial on a radio station, but that can happen inside of Facebook. So I am geeking out big time <laughs> yeah. on Facebook right look, now. The nice thing is you can actually track the data too. Absolutely. There's no proven data that your billboard's working. No. Or like no. that someone heard a song on the radio. Sure. So or how long someone listened to the song. I mean, yeah. yeah. No, I'm big on that. You know, if you're geeking out on that, you might like a podcast series from Agora Pulse. Okay. They actually do a lot of A-B, like, scientific testing of social media metrics. Okay. So, like, today... I got that. Perpetual uh, perpetual traffic is another one I like. So, this is called <laughs> nice. Agora... Agora Pulse. I'll okay. send you a link, but... Okay, perfect. Um, their, their most recent one they just dropped today was, what provides a better return on investment right now? YouTube video ads or Facebook video ads. Okay. Uh, because there was this massive pricing, uh, pricing hike on Facebook sure. and a big drop on YouTube. So they thought maybe YouTube's going to try and deliver more bang for the buck now. Well, so. I hope so because I think the, uh, the pre-roll uh, commercials on YouTube are very effective too. So, you know, so we're going to use that actually for Trent Harmon. So oh, Trent nice. is going out with Rascal Flats and Dan and Shay. So we're going to do pre-roll that says, Hey, it's Trent Harmon. Before you watch that Rascal Flats video, just want to say I'm excited to be out on the road with them this summer. Don't forget to stop by the merch table. I'd love to meet you. And if you get a chance after you watch the video, why don't you click on and check out my new single? It's called Perfect. You Got Them All. Done. It'll be under 30 seconds. It'll get right in front. So I'm a big believer in all of that because the price of the real estate is so cheap right now because the major brands have not come over yet. Sure. Once they come over, now I'm competing with Coca-Cola for, because right now I'm getting my Facebook clicks for less than a penny. Three second video views, 10 second video views for less than a penny. That's unheard of. The real estate's cheap right now. It's it not is. always gonna be cheap, so I'm going all in right now while I can. Speaking of investments, have you made, like 
I would say actually, what's your favorite investment you made for like a hundred bucks or less? Small purchase, anything that's like brought more joy to your life or something that's helped it, you know, you, you in any kind of way, whether it's for your client or for sure. yourself. I was going to say my, uh, my earbuds, but you said 97 or less or a hundred or less. <laughs> Those were a little bit more than that. A little but, bit more is fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, wow. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. Rephrase it again. That way I so, can really go deep and think. Small, go ahead. Uh, what small purchase has made like a big difference in your life in kind of recent months? Uh, it could be your earbuds. Yeah, it could be the earbuds. It's also my Fitbit. Oh. You know, it's uh, keeping you helping me accountable, keeping me on my feet there. But uh, so I, I bought uh, a program to help me understand uh, Facebook first for under a hundred bucks. I mean, I'm always invested. That's what's weird is that I'm not a big investor in things. I kind of, so I, I spent, so here's a, here's a funny story is I had somebody approach me. I wanted somebody to do my Facebook advertising for my business. They wanted five grand a month. They wanted at least a three month commitment. So we're up to 15,000 and they wanted me to spend $2,500 every month so that they could learn who my audience was. Wow. I'm like, wait a minute, I know who my audience was. So I went and bought a Facebook marketing course for $7,500. I then went and bought a retargeting course for $7,500. <laughs> I then flew in two of the guys that I met to teach my staff. So now instead of me renting someone else's knowledge and experience and being forced to keep them around yeah. because they know all the answers, I went and educated myself. So what I'm big on right now is really educating myself and having the knowledge and experience that I need. I really invest a lot in myself. So probably the best investment that I've made recently is my Audible subscription because every month I get a book delivered to it. Yeah. And I can pick the book that I want and I'm probably listening to probably between four and six books a month. Nice. And I'm not a reader, I'm lazy when it comes <laughs> to that point, but I love to listen when I drive. I'm getting ready to have a 10 hour drive from here to Jacksonville for the Rascal Flats tour. I gotta drive the Sprinter by myself, so I'll be you know, listening to a bunch there. Mm -hmm. So probably my Audible subscription is what I'll say outside of... Do you have a favorite Audible book you've listened to recently? Well, I like the Gary Vee stuff. One, because it's in his voice that he's very funny. But uh, Kevin Hart's oh, book, yeah. Laugh Out Loud, it was, it was very funny. And the James Corden was very funny because it was in his yeah. voice yeah. as well. So those are the two kind of biographies that I listen to. Mostly... I listen to Grant Cardone, you know, I, uh, I've got, uh, you are a badass, you know, Jen, uh, I can't remember her last name. I think it's Jen Goodman. Uh, no, it's a different yeah. kind of name, but she has, she's wonderful. Jen Cicero or oh, something. Like. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she's got that book. That's really great. You know, start with why is another cool book. I yeah. mean, Something I just did in my new program that I created, the fan base blueprint, is I had a list. I said, here's what I'm feeding my brain with. And I listed the books. I mean, Ari Herstan's book, nice. you know, is a great book right yeah. now that every artist should have. It's like Donald Passman's book, but from an artist and current. Nice. <laughs> if that makes yeah, any well, sense. I mean, everything Ari does is like just so down to earth and it's it very is approachable it, it is and him and i made a connection when we both spoke at the cd baby music conference it was uh it was quite well and then he he does these really cool events like every few months he does these little series uh and i'll put them out there to the people that follow me and they love it because all the stuff that he gives it's so 
inexpensive for an artist. Once again, it's an investment that you can make that's less than $97 and you'll get like manager's phone numbers or here's the venue booking list for every club that holds 50 people or more. I mean, he gives such great stuff. People have to invest in themselves. I mean, uh, right now, uh, the Music Industry Connection, This per, for $9.99 a month, you get all the Spotify curators, their emails, their Twitter handles. You get all the internet bloggers and uh, all these internet radio stations. And somebody else went and did the work and put it into one place so we don't have to. It's Those are the types of investments that I, if the artists that are listening right now, you've got to invest in your business. Yeah, It is a business, but make smart investments. Hiring a publicist for $1,500 because you've recorded one song, not a good investment. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe how many people do it. They record sure. one song and hire a publicist for $2,000 a month to promote this one song. Or you record one song and one video, you've built no audience, and you hire a publicist. And I'm like, that's about $10,000 you could have spent someplace else in order to do this properly. Or they dump a bunch of money in a brand new guitar <laughs> when that's not going to advance the business at any bit. But no, it's like when I always tell people my top level programs two thousand dollars, and what I say when I speak to them, I said, "Look, it's not that you can't afford it; it's just that you haven't justified it yet. Because you can justify a guitar, you can justify a radio promoter, you can justify three hundred fifty dollars an hour for a vocal lesson, you can justify a hundred dollars for a guitar lesson, but you can't justify me yet." So we're just not quite there. But it's amazing when you look on their Instagram pages what they are justifying (laughs) money for. Well, that's the difference between artists who spend money and those who invest it. Sure. Because it's like choosing what is actually going to advance closer to their goals. Well, and speaking of that, you being an artist, and we'll shift things over here for a second. Where did you get the entrepreneurial spirit as an artist? When did that bug (laughs) kick in? I think it was actually growing up in a restaurant. Okay. My parents owned restaurants to survive and I grew up seeing how they would do business and just kind of broke down ways where they could be more efficient at it. Either cutting down food costs. I was like, hey, let's trim down the menu. These ingredients aren't necessary. They're not selling. Um, you know, as an eight-year-old telling me... So you're a data analysis person at eight years (laughs) old. (laughs) My dad was like, who's this kid? Um, but also like doing things, I I had to learn it very quickly because I had to translate for my parents weren't as proficient in English. Right. So I had to learn like very quick business terms, medical terms and things like that. And that also gave me a lot of insight for that business. Then it was very natural for me when I started music and I would just naturally think about like, how did my parents run their restaurant and how could I take what I learned and apply it to music? Sure. So when I was a teenager, uh, what, when I was launching music, I was also signing local bands, like saying, hey, let me help you design your merch and create it because back then there was no social media. No one knew how to get a sticker printed. I, I was like, okay, let me figure it out. And I would just go to companies and say, put together a deal. Say, hey, if I have this sheet and I cut it up into eight different designs, will you print this? And they're like, yeah, if you can do that. And, right. And then I would just do huge runs for artists, give, them bulk, give everybody a bulk discount and take like 10%. So it was just like thinking about those things because I was kind of forced to as a kid. And now when I was, as I got older and and started doing music more seriously, I I decided instead of going to music school, I'm going to go get an MBA. I'm going to learn the business side of things. Like I already was playing bass for like 20 years. I'm like, I can figure this out, but why not use my band as my investment project, as my capstone project? And 
actually get all of my instructors, all who are like people like VP of marketing and Pepsi and stuff like sure. that to provide their insight into what I was doing. And so it became like a really fun project for, for a number of years. So your band now, you guys do something very unique and you have a niche that not a lot of people <laughs> can get into. Yeah, we got, I mean, we developed a couple of niches over the years. Sure. So we, um, being an all Asian American dance rock band is a unique niche to begin with. Okay. But we kind of capitalized on that by touring anime and video game conventions to sure. start. So we were the first band to build entire tours around that. And then because we got involved with this big legal case that went to the Supreme Court, now we build a niche of playing law schools. So when you say a big legal case, is it anything you can talk about? Or Yeah. So okay. we were fighting for the right to register our band's trademark. Okay. Because uh, the name of my band is called The Slants. The government said it's racist towards Asian people. But you are Asian. Even though we're Asian. And... We're supported by our Asian American community. <laughs> uh, the government said, hey, UrbanDictionary.com says it's a racial slur, so we're going to go with that instead of anything your community says. We fought for eight years, uh, went all the way to the Supreme Court. We won unanimously. Wow. They struck down this 70-year-old law that Congress had passed saying that, hey, that's actually unconstitutional. It, it violates the First Amendment. And because it's been this harrowing legal journey... And law schools are used to very, very boring presentations. I come in and pitch my band saying, why not get the band that went to the Supreme Court? I could talk about this law. I probably know more about this law than any professor right. we have on staff. Sure. And on top of that, you can say something that no other law school in the area will be able to say in that you had the slants play. So sure. people gladly write checks and bring us in. And you know what? Playing for like attorneys they have a pretty good disposal income and they're more than happy Absolutely. to pay a premium to, to get a t-shirt that has our name on it. Right. Wow. What a great concept. So interesting. So you're, you're now able to belittle yourself <laughs> just like other races and nationalities can do things that other people can't, but first amendment is what it ended up coming yeah, back at. Because the government realized that it was about self-empowerment and more and more like, Bands. So was it the trademark company that said, sorry, we're not going to do this? Yeah, so is that who you guys sued? The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Okay. Yeah. So because the thing is, artists use names in an expressive way. Sure. And they absolutely need to get registered trademarks for those names. Right. And so what we found out is the trademark office is all over the place. Sometimes they would give marks out that were kind of offensive and sometimes they wouldn't. So when you said in the box, cause I recently submitted and got trademarked for the music industry blueprint. When it said, what are you going to use this name for the slants in music? You said, we're a bunch of Asian dudes <laughs> and we play music. Is that what triggered them to even question that word? And it was for live musical performances by a band. When they went to our website and they saw that we are Asian, they oh. thought, Hey, Wait, that doesn't sound right. Even though we've given out 800 trademarks for slant, this doesn't sound right because it's now being used by Asian people. <laughs> so they actually told me um, over the years that we were too Asian to use the mark. They said the reason why they give trademarks for slant to other people was basically they weren't Asian. But because we were two Asian, people would automatically assume a racial slur instead of any other definition. Right. And for us, we were like, the slants, it's kind of like, it's a musical term. It, we can talk about our perspective. And it sounds like a cool 80s new wave band. Absolutely. But the trademark office didn't get that. Oh, so. that's interesting. Yeah, they tried to shut it down. 
but because of all these w weird quirky things it actually well it opened was, up it, doors yeah it was very frustrating for a number of years sure Don't i bet all. yeah i bet and i would never wish this upon anybody probably cost a fortune for a long time it did yes yeah. did you get your money back we did. We eventually got a legal team to work okay. pro bono and, awesome. and did a lot of great fundraising and people who believe in our cause helped us out. Sure. And now I can provide a living wage to a band full of people because I can book these kind of unique, weird gigs at like law schools. Wow. When did you get the idea for the podcast? The podcast came to me a few months ago. I was, I was actually just looking for music business podcasts and I felt like a lot of them were either long form they were based on interviews right it just it didn't quite fit what i was looking for and i thought why why don't i do something like this and i was crazy enough to want to have a challenge so i made it a daily show <laughs> i have a hard enough time getting mine two times out a week much less <laughs> yeah. every single day no it's tough especially because i tour and i still travel quite a bit so I, I have this pocket recorder with me and i'm constantly recording and editing um and if it's Late at night, I know I have to record an episode before the next morning because they, they hit it 7 sure. in the morning. So wow. That's part of the fun. Well, I appreciate you being a part of my podcast. I was excited to be a part of yours. This is the first time that I've combined two podcasts into one <laughs> so we both get credit. You know, it's something which is Gary really does good. all the time, yeah. actually. So. His audio experience, <laughs> one day it might be two minutes, one day it might be an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah. But it really depends. But, man, I appreciate you taking the time. And a fascinating story. Uh, we'll make sure in the show notes that you guys get access not only to uh, his podcast, but his band. And if we can find any Google article on that case study, <laughs> give me the best place where they could go. Because people may really want to go yeah. take a look at that. We'll put that down in the show notes. Yeah, if, if you want something that's fun to watch yes, as opposed to like a long, boring, dry thing, I would say Comedy Central. Uh, really? We were on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Oh, done. They did that's, a really fun thing. Uh, okay. Ronnie Chang was the correspondent on that one. So if you want something that's a little more meaty, then that's... Rolling Stone did a really great uh, analysis of it. Okay. So. All right. We'll track those things down as well. So, man, I appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, for those of you that are, are just hitting here, uh, just found me, uh, subscribe. I'd super much appreciate it. You can also go to the website, rickbarker.com, grab a free copy of my book, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com, take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.